0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I am very excited today because I have Ranjan Kumar with me and he is the CEO and co-founder of Entropic Tech, who are a consumer insights company powered by AI. And at this point you might be thinking, oh, there's, you know, a thousand of those companies, but the way Entropic is extremely disruptive and extremely revolutionary, is that they are measuring the subconscious reaction. Now, most consumer insights companies, they're measuring your conscious decisions. So have I liked a post? Have I shared a post? Based on my demographics, they are making an analysis of that and providing an output. But what Entropic is doing is they are measuring the subconscious. So how are my brainwaves reacting to a certain stimuli? How are my eyes moving? How are my micro-expressions on my face telling a analytics tool powered by AI what I am feeling to a certain stimuli? But before we get into that, Ranjan, I'm so excited. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, thanks a lot, Arman, for having me here. Uh, this, this is great to have you in the Sunday morning.
0: Of course. Um, And I wanted to start off with the way I start off all of these podcasts in going a little bit into your background. So could you tell the audience a little bit about who you are, you know, about your background, where you came from and how you eventually led and how this led you to Entropic Tech?
1: Sure, sure. Um, So, yeah, I'm Ranjan. Um, I I come from a small town in India, in Bihar, called as Muzaffarpur. I uh, did my early educations there, uh, went to IIT Kharagpur, being a chemical engineer. Uh, after my job, I first four years of my career, worked with various MNCs, and 2012 was an interesting time where um, sort of I was looking at what beyond this and how I can create more value out of whatever my skill sets are. And um, I started my first company in consumer internet called as OIParty.com, that was in 2012, that was my first amateur assistant to um, start my first venture. Uh, went about two years bootstrapped, um, pretty much scaling five cities, 100,000 users, and uh, 2014 was a time when we um, sort of trying to figure out, struggle a little bit, understanding the core differentiator, And as it happened, we got an exit opportunity and we sold out the company. Um, and and some of the learnings out of the first company was essentially to know that, you know, uh, you have to sort your differentiator very early on the game. And uh, further to that, I went about uh, being very early set sort of a uh, core team member at uh, Citrus Payments, which was into FinTech, and I was heading business for them, uh, ran it about two and a half years. The company got acquired successfully by Naspers uh, in 2016. And subsequently, I went back to my whiteboard and um, was looking at something a lot more profound that I can create, something where some fundamental research was involved, an idea of a very IP-led product organization. And I looked at various sort of things that I can do, and what comes came back was um, Entropic. So it's been a fabulous four-year journey that way. So yeah, that's, that's sort of a brief intro about uh, what I do and how it happens.
0: Wow, that's an awesome story. And I, I just want to get into now a little bit into what led you to Entropic. So on that whiteboard, what was the thing that came into your head that says, well, this hasn't been done before. This will solve companies' problems that they're having in analyzing consumer behavior. Why did that idea come to you?
1: Sure. Um. So I was looking at like, um, I, I, I was looking at something which is, five years ahead of the curve. And I was very convinced after my first two stints that you gotta build something which has got, which is solving a really, really hard problem. And uh, in the ways that it has never been done before, the the premise of the company has to be a lot more uh, B2B. It has to be very research oriented, very IP foundation based, because that's the best way you can uh, very early on, make sure that yes, this is a hard problem. Either you will not be able to solve it at all, or if you solve it, you will probably be the number one guy in your space. So that was one premise, and I was looking at what all possible problem statements, and what came out very clearly was, you know, um, something as simple as consumer behavior is a very tricky place, and and there are a lot of consumer analytics company and. The way they had approached it and um, what I understood was, hey, here's 95% of user decision making is made subconscious. I walk into the retail store, I want to shop something as a some blazer for myself and I have walked into store somewhere, I have already decided what I need to buy, rest I'm just looking for reasoning. And and hence most of the decision makings, whether I'm watching a content, whether I, wa- I have to watch a movie or I have to buy a shirt or to buy anything, pretty much the decision making is subconscious and it is not irrational at all. It's very rational, but it's just subconscious, it is very intuitive, and 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 the preferences are very much that way. And when I look at how brands do approach this problem statement, I realize that okay, here's the two ways in which brands today understand consumer behavior one is i ask you how did you find this movie on a scale of one to ten and as a user i'll always give you 8.5 or nine and that doesn't tell anything to the brand beyond that okay this was a good checklist for me to align to what i wanted to hear Uh, and the second way is that i will do surveys i will i will i will have focus group discussion where i will ask you the same question in person so there is surveys and there is focus group interviews are the two ways We understand consumer feedback and both of it is articulative in nature. Um, It's the system too. It is precisely the conscious, articulated response of the user where um, it is biased because I know that you are asking a question. Second, um, many times we don't consciously know what what led to my decision making. So it's kind of hazy. Um, Brands never get a pinpointed insight into exactly where my user went frustrated, where they went excited, what sort of the key triggers are and and where their attention span was highest. And and that that looked like a huge problem statement. So today, if you look at the efficiency of any of these brand activities that happens, 46% of new product launches fail. Um, About out of 10,000 ad views that we see any particular week, Uh, in various form factor. Only 25 of them is something that gets registered to our mind. Um, If you go to a mobile app or a website, one out of every three users drops out. That's about $1.6 trillion of loss across consumer internet platforms. And and look at these level of inefficiencies at a very macro perspective. And you would understand why these efficiencies have not gone beyond a certain point and and the understand is that our brands truly consumer-centric and if they are or if they are attempting to do so um the way they are capturing or closing the loop of consumer feedback is just not scientific enough just not detailed enough and sophisticated enough to capture the true true driver for decision making which is which is contributing to about 95 so about 6000 odd analytics company across globe works around five percent of decision-making contributor and there is probably not more than three companies which are working on the 95 percent of the contributor so for me it was like hell this is amazing space and given that i have found the problem and i understand the problem let's look at what possible ways and what most accurate way and what, what most scalable way i can solve the first part of it, which is, um, can I understand the deep dive subconscious behavior of a user through whatever mechanism, right? So that's sort of a a long shot story about how I ended up uh, doing Entropic.
0: Wow, thank you for sharing that. There's so much to unpack there, but I just want to start with, you've clearly read Thinking Fast and Slow, haven't you? Because. So much of what you said, I just finished that book. And if anyone's interested, you should definitely read that book. It's about how we have biases to our thinking. And Ranjan really goes into, you know, that really correlates to your company. And, you know, it's very, very interesting. And the other key thing that I just took away from what you said was, and I'm just thinking about that right now as well. When I react to a certain website that I'm going on to or a certain application that I'm open to opening. I can't necessarily tell you why I don't like it. I mean, no, I can't put it into words, but I can just get this intuitive sense, like you said, that look, I you know, there's something about this product that I just don't like, and I'm gonna close it. I'm not even gonna explore it more. And like what you're saying about movies, about how you can track, you know, specific aspects of movies that you know people will find enjoyable, that is just very, very, you know, a cool thought. And I wanna dive you know a bit deeper into that right now sure. and um, I, I listened to an interview where you said you know entropic is a mix between data science and neuroscience which I find very interesting um, so how have you built these models because have you brought neuroscientists onto the team How have you started developing the frameworks that you work off of
1: sure um, so so I'm, 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 I'm I always fancy about you know the first principle reasoning, and more than the empirical proofs which are out there, which means that um, here's a problem that we want to understand how consumer subconscious behavior runs. And I know for sure there are only five sense organs that as a human we possess, right? So we do have eyes, we do have brain, we do have voice, we do have touch, and we do have um, uh, uh, and, and we do have our mechanisms to expressed through the face right so these are the various ways in which you know um, the emotion can run by or or all the subconscious intuitive way of expressing does happen and Mm -hmm. um, we looked at that um, what are the technologies available to tap into these right and um, to what extent and what level of maturity they are there so that's one side of the canvas that i had the second was largely looking at okay there might be some technologies which are mature uh, but what is the scalability of it right can it really be scaled and and third is about do we have the subject knowledge and how we can create that subject knowledge to understand that right it's like a physics problem um so uh, so as it happened um we looked at that okay there's brain which is very superlative if, if i'm able to tap into that and understand right from brain as a source and that's where brainwave mapping does exist. And uh, what we understood was bunch of these technologies did exist in its hardware form like MRI machine has been there for a while. Um, we can tap into ways to capture the brainwave data. data, data. But the problem with that is that um, you have alpha, beta, gamma brainwave that you cap- can capture based on how your neurons are firing at any particular time. When you are browsing through an application or you're watching a movie or you are walking into a retail store, your neurons are firing in certain ways. And there are already technologies from a hardware perspective to, you know, measure how these neurons are firing, but how it can be significantly um, um, interpreted in terms of what truly will mean relevant for a brand is where the core IP comes into picture. So we ran a bunch of similar, and and the way we approached it was there is a whole lot of neuroscience principle, which is one side of the world, as in what is good, bad, ugly. And there is a larger, larger um, sort of data science involved into that at large scale, what consistently these data trends mean in terms of brainwaves. As in, if I'm watching a movie, do I have a certain kind of trend of how our neurons are firing? Can we understand that? Vice versa, um, is there a way that uh, I am actually browsing through a mobile app and it is very frustrating? Do I have a certain kind of emotional response that we can capture? Um, and, and we did that. We did that. So we, we didn't just approach it from a neuroscience perspective to say that, hey, when low alpha brainwave is high, that means that the person is really bored. Um, we went further to that to see that what are those complex pattern based on which whenever attention is high, this is the kind of pattern whenever excitement is high, this is the patent, and so and so forth around various emotion set. When there is a purchase intent for a person to actually go and make a purchase, this is kind of trend that we are getting. And that's the science that we developed and um, embedded all into an AI module, which is basically today capable to read through the brainwaves and uh, pretty much give you insights in terms of attention-level Uh, mental effort that a person is putting in what is the emotional spectrum happy sad excited relaxed bored what is the persuasion level and what is the likelihood of this person to purchase something or make a action around whatever experience that he's going through so that was brainwave mapping and then we looked at but brainwave mapping always required a headset and we simplified the headset to become just like a headband which is like a headphone that can touch your forehead totally non-intrusive and just picks in signals across your brain and that sort of gets translated into my software but 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 there was a uh, this this has a while this is very superlative this has got a um, hindrance to scale that there's a hardware involved and that's when we looked at how about we tap into the face expression and how about we tap into what the eye movements are saying and uh, computer vision and camera came to our rescue there and we start looking at that just using the webcam can i track the face expression basis that can i can i um, define what is the attention level and, and these are basically things that you all the time uh, express in terms of like if your blink rates are high if you're if you are distracted there is a certain kind of face expression that happens if you're if you're very happy there is a certain chin movement that happens there is a certain way of grin that you do and and that's another set of whole technology layer that we build and as we were doing so parallelly, we also interpreted where exactly you are looking on the screen. That is like eye tracking, knowing where exactly on the screen you are looking at. Um, so these two things has no dependency on hardware. Uh, it just uses the webcam, which is available in every laptop globally. So that made a lot of sense. And one of the very unique IPs that we filed was ability to cross train facial coding with brain mapping, which means that um, can there be a more comprehensive single platform which looks at these very various, various sensory movements a lot more holistically than one at a time? So, so that that's how sort of um, the underlying thought to tap into various sense organs is is that way, right? So, brain, face, and eye is what we captured. Uh, voice is something which people have been doing for a while uh, already, and um, touches. Touches something for which we have filed an IP, but we have never productized it. Which is about the way you sm- swipe your smartphone. We use that to decipher whether um, you are happy, sad, excited, relaxed, bored, um, because you have a certain pattern how you swipe your smartphone when you are actually excited. Um, wow. So, uh, so, so basically, the underlying principle just being the five sense organs and how far we can go into it.
0: That's that's extremely interesting. I never thought about how I swiped a smartphone relating to my happiness but I'm sure like again that's a subconscious thing and I, I want to go into um, you know capturing this data and creating these assumptions and creating assumptions that actually are proven true by you know historical data and I want to ask you there must have been so many challenges in collecting this because you, you have to collect a lot of data you have to validate that data through whether it be neuroscientists or actual results from companies can you can you go into you know some of the challenges that you faced in this area because it must have taken so long to get yeah. this to where it is
1: yeah so so we started in 2016 and you know um i was very stubborn about being a very um, ip led company and the point being that we will not build anything which is not having a core ip value in itself so anything which is fundamentally not unique or not um profound, we will not build it. and that's that sort of was a very stubborn role that I took. Um, first three years of the company till two thousand and nineteen, we just built the technology and make, made it like super accurate. And uh, for that time, um, I invested myself, um, i we got some early believers in terms of angels who joined into the root and and the only promise was that, hey, this is an unsolved problem, but you know what if it is solved? What is what if if somebody cracks it and um, the odds of the positives of success just overtook everything um, in terms of what possibly might be the loss? The key challenges were always how can you have a team driven to this vision? Um, Because um, it it is a it is a difficult problem. It's like a problem never solved earlier. You are trying to address and um, you are asking a bunch of people to actually bet your life on that. Um, so that was one very difficult thing to get in a team aligned to that, find out people who are aligned to this vision. Um, early on, if you are IP company, funding is very scarce. It's not like 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 consumer internet companies. I can't prove traction on month four that hey, here's uh, X number of user downloads and this can take its This is sort of very positive and here's the traction for me to prove out that uh, you should fund in my company. So funding was very difficult at early days. Um, and, and the third being the challenge of the problem statement itself, right? So a um, uh, bunch of exercise, very exhaustive set of exercise, inviting people in the office, various sort of people, making them try this, collect data, get the skill sets, knowledge level from people, neuroscientists who can come in and validate and give your expert comments. Um, The data science capability. Um, So, yeah, these were a few things um, that were sort of very challenging and less to mention that everyone, uh, every entrepreneur around you would ask you that, hey, you had a really good chance of building something a lot more scalable into a consumer space. What led you to go into such a rocket science building thing? So, So these were sort of little harder ones to address or sort of deal with when you yourself are into your set of doubts as in what this might span to. But we held well for our first three years, and um, then, then emerged the true business cases, and, and the validation from market, validation from investors, and sort of all those were very fulfilling.
0: Wow, that's a very cool takeaway, you know, that I took from what you just said. It took three years, and that takes a lot of patience from both you as a company, and like you said, you're investors because most investors need to and want to see return very quickly because they're putting in a lot of money. So I, uh, is it right to say that patience is one of the key things that you did in getting this company to where it is?
1: I think I think patience is definitely, for such the nature of business that we draw, The um, patience is one of the key things. Also, I'd just like to highlight, I think, Getting the right people along, who are more mm. excited about the possibility of solving it than fear of, you know, this might not go anywhere, is super important, right? So my co-founder, Lava Kumar, he was he was well settled in US, 15 years, product management, driving at a very sweet spot um, in a in a ad tech company in US was there and. Um, you know, um, after talking to so many people who said that, hey, this just looks like science fiction to me, there was one guy who sort of said that, you know, the possibilities, what if it can happen? He's humongous from an ad tech perspective. And um, that strike and that sort of got in some force person in the organization who truly believed that, hey, uh, this can be really huge. So, uh, So just getting those right set of people creates that mindset who are, who are more driven by the possibilities than the doubts um, is sort of super awesome.
0: And that, that's a, again a, a very cool point that I wanna expand on a bit. Uh, when you did start to scale, how did you make sure that you were getting in the right people? Were you interviewing everybody? You, you know, how were you doing your recruitment? Because this is a big thing for people starting new companies. How do you get those people?
1: i i always believed that skill set is something that can be acquired but you know passion is something which can't be acquired um which means that if you're not fundamentally driven by the impossibility of the possible you cannot you cannot do something like this because day in day out 12 hours 16 hours if you have to slog through something which is indefinite you have to truly believe it's like it's like um a research experiment, right? It's like you are setting out in a lab and trying to make a breakthrough. And if you are not someone who is sort of truly driven by what exactly it might be, um, it's sort of very hard to drive through. So um, so my hiring was my super priority as in every person that we have hired so far in the company. I have personally interviewed for sure And the one thing that I truly looked at was that, is he truly passionate about the subject and the possibilities of what we are driving. And, and that times at times it is just a little confusing always because people tend to show that, okay, I'm very passionate, but when you start to go deeper and deeper and deeper into what really drives you for work, you truly get a sense of that. And um, that's something that I keenly look at. Subject matter is something that you slog yourself through 20 research papers, take yourself through learning a bunch of things, you will always get to that point. Um, so you hire for passion, and there are certain obviously set of people or insider and outsider and advisors who you bring in just for the subject matter, right? So it's a mix of both, but I always incline to be having a team which is a lot more passionate and uh, subject can always be acquired.
0: Awesome. Um, now, just to go back into the business a little bit, you know, I'm sure people will be interested in. You know what are the factors that cause a product, let's say, let's say in this um, aspect, a software product to be successful, or a website. You know, is it the fonts? Is it the colors? You know, what causes things to be successful, and what causes people to feel intuitively and subconsciously happy when they're interacting with a product?
1: so it varies by the kind of product so consider if it is a website versus if it is a ad versus if it is a movie versus if it is a fmcg product in the retail store um the drivers for each of it are very different so let me take you example for um something like uh, something like a simple simple thing which is a um ad um or, or a website for that matter right okay. so What what essentially happens the first and foremost thing is the purpose, why the user is there and that truly defines how he's going to react in terms of his subconscious across board. Which means that my purpose of going to a particular app or website can be to make a purchase. My purpose can be I'm just going there to you know, get some information and likewise my purpose can be going to a website um for for something more important, right? So, um like for a bank, it can be a transaction. Um, so uh, so purpose is very important, and uh, ability to understand the purpose at the first place sort of is super crucial. But uh, beyond this purpose, what is uh, from a website feature standpoint, what becomes super uh, crucial is um, I think the whole whole theme around which you're working, which is which is to say that, Uh, Are you, whatever it may be, it may be color, it may be the way of graphics and UI and the UX and the journey that you have put out. Ultimately, are you making user journey seamless and allowing him to reach to his purpose as quickly as possible in the most exciting, in the most emotion positive way? And that's what truly what we optimize for. And the first step to that is, do you know your consumer journey? from the behavior perspective. What are the pages where they felt good, bad? What is the part of the journey where they were really frustrated? What are the elements of the design that sort of led to certain behavior, right? So it's a combination of multiple things from a UI and UX perspective. Uh, But yeah, um, some of the key ones that if I have to take take out is uh, pretty much, um, I'll cite example, what kind of mental effort a person has to process to reach to a certain point And what kind of emotion, positive and negative swings are happening across the journey are the two key points that sort of truly, truly decide whether the user will drop off now or he will complete the task and will say, hey, here's a five rating for you.
0: Okay, wow. And uh, um, uh, another thing I wanted to ask, because I'm very interested about this actually, is, is are there any interesting trends or things that you've seen from you know, when someone's making a micro expression, that being correlated to something. So, for example, if I move my face, my mouth a little bit to the right, is that saying I'm extremely upset or something like that? Is there anything interesting that you found through you know, your research and through doing this for so many years now? Yeah.
1: So, yeah, so that's there. Um, so one is that people, uh, particularly in India, if I have to say, 40 percent time only people are emoting through a face expression. And when they are doing, um, there is there is always this few facial features. There is about 58 of such facial action units or features with changes when you are exhibiting different sort of emotion. And I, most of the times it's very subtle, uh, for, but we are able to pick it. Yeah. So so let's say the grin, uh, the eyebrow movement, the lip to lip distance, uh, the chin to lip lower edge distance these (laughs) are some of the points that sort of changes with a unique ratio so it's 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 not that it will vary if you go to a u.s or you go to china these ratios are very constant in the face and it changes very uniquely based on what kind of emotion you are looking to exhibit and and again very subconscious but we do this all the time right Uh, just a classic simple example if you are lying something, you essentially will be blinking a lot more faster, almost 2.5 times faster, as compared to when you're truly confident and saying something. And a very unique set of face expression you make when you're lying, versus when you are sort of really confident saying truth with a higher certainty.
0: So, so for example, you and I would have similar ratio changes in our face reacting to a certain stimuli if we are feeling the same emotion. It doesn't change between person to person. It's pretty common, you're saying, throughout a general population. Uh,
1: It does. It does. Uh, The only thing changes is uh, the intensity at which we express is varies by ethnicity and um, gender and country. Uh, That does change.
0: Okay. Okay. And, uh, you know, what you said, again, it also leads to an interesting point of this is a very powerful insight tool and it's an insight into something that you know I as a consumer or I as an end user may not even be aware of you know my reaction to something and technically this AI and this you know powerful technology could be used in theory to you know manipulate how I feel about certain stimuli and I, I wanted to ask you what are your thoughts on the ethics of this AI and you know AI in general? Uh,
1: what are your thoughts about that? Sure. see the purpose with which we are doing all this stuff or the all these technologies are built is more than more than manipulate we are looking to align to the users right um, And yeah. I'll take about 10 seconds to elaborate that. Um, today we live in an era where human attention span is about eight seconds which is less than a goldfish, which is 10 seconds, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because we are into clutter of information. Uh, I receive 300 meals, which I don't want. I see 20 banner ads, which I don't want. And all of this is coming from the brand in some or the other way, right? Or the businesses which are trying to reach out to consumers. So the purpose of all this is not to manipulate, but to align. How can something reach to you which is truly relevant only to you and we can take out all this garbage which is otherwise coming to you? Can we achieve that level of perception and personalization where uh, which is really soothing experience to an end consumer? So more than manipulating, the idea is to align. But having said that, as you said, that there can be extremities and who knows that 50 years down the line, can it? what are the ethics of it and are we thoughtful about it or not, right? So we are, we are, and I think that the whole purpose of all the technology is to serve to the experience and not to go beyond that. So the first point first, we are very, very particular about the privacy aspect, as in what we are collecting is never a face image. We are never collecting who is this person, any of the personal information we are just collecting the face expression collectively and telling a trend to a brand, which means that brand can never know that this was a face expression of a Ranjan Kumar across their journey. All they will know that people at 26 to 35 years of age do react in this way to the product that I'm launching, and that's something anyways they do today, right? So, but just the method has been that I ask you a question versus Here's something that I capture a lot more subconsciously. Um, so that, that's truly how we take this forward. We are totally GDPR compliant, and we take that in true spirit. In terms of ethics of how intelligent AI can be, you know, so AI is essentially a bunch of uh, if-else rule, if you see that way, right? So mm-hmm. what happens if if this is the condition, this is the outcome, right? And it's a very complex web of such possibilities that that is what causes intelligence. And that is what the artificial intelligence is all about. And it's trying to some way un- mimic the brain and sort of that's why it's called as AI, right? The, 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 the divergence point of any of the AI is when AI does not have empathy, which means that why humans are consciously aware of righteousness and what is right and what is wrong, is because it is not just about intelligence, as in logical intelligence, it is about being emotionally perceptive as well. So can AI be emotionally intelligent is where the sense or the bridge lies, in fact, to make sure that AI is not just logically intelligent, but it is emotionally perceptive as well. It has got empathy built into it. And uh, all this all this intelligence that we are gathering, I feel that it is a true bridge for while AI to be powerful, it will make it a lot more adaptive to the human conscience. So that's kind of an approach that I see. Otherwise, I think that AI is good. It's a it's a it's a good thing to evolve. I think it's gonna it's ha- it has got a lot of lot of positives. It can solve a lot of things um, for healthcare, for Uh, for a lot of problems which otherwise seemed impossible for people to achieve at a very fast pace in a very small time we can truly solve it Uh, but we got to be very cautious and very aware about the consciousness that it holds uh, or that gets built into it so that's just what uh, my take candidly is about the subject
0: no i i completely understand that and i i I agree with you that ai if used Effectively and used with uh, empathy, like you're saying, you know, used by companies that are aiming to progress, you know, positive impact. It is very useful for us as a society, I and mean, we've seen it in, you know, every aspect of our life. You know, in general, we live a much better life than previous generations, and a lot of that has to do with technology. And uh, so, I, I completely love your points there, and it kind of leads me into the points of you know, what's next for Entropic? You know, I've seen through your website, you guys are going into education technology. You guys are going into movies like you talked about earlier and even automotive, Um, you know, cars building safety mechanisms. So can you go into a little bit about what's next in the future for Entropic?
1: Sure. Um, So so last three, last four years now uh, almost has been about our mechanism to truly understand user behavior subconsciously or emotions subconsciously using bunch of technologies that we've built so we have created a pipe to uh, collect human emotion data and understand that truly and that we are using for the advantage to for brands or these these companies to help them create a truly consumer centric experience um, What has also happened uh, over a period of time is we are second largest repository globally of human emotions, which means that we have great possibility and capability of being able to predict about how people, uh, what are the kind of experiences that people will resonate with, which means that I can create truly emotionally interactive experiences. And that's what I was telling about, that AI can truly be emotionally adaptive. Just to give you an example, um, uh, and, and this is more from how technology will flow by for us. Um, so can I can I create a Alexa experience? Can I create a website experience? Can I create an ad experience which understands my frustration if it is yeah. there, which, which understands um, that I am really angry at this point in time? Classic example, if you are... If you're typing something on a chat bot today on a, on a site, it keeps bringing you to the same loop. It's like, hey, I just asked this question, why are you asking me again back to this, right? And and what if it a chatbot truly understand that I'm being sarcastic, I'm being angry, I'm being excited and hence my response, your response needs to change to make sure my experience with the bot is as good as I would have been talking to other person on the other side, right? Uh, so, so being making the whole experience, whether it's an ad, whether it's a movie, whether it's a website, or whether it's FMCG product, truly emotionally adaptive is where we are headed to, from a core um, technology perspective. As in, first step was create insights, and second step is about creating adaptive experiences. So we are we are heading to the step two um, from a expansion across verticals or categories i think every consumer business can be touched using this uh, while we started with more of uh, you know um, consumer businesses in fmcg consumer businesses on the consumer internet web experiences content and media uh, i think the possibility of this to touch uh, it's like one of those fundamental technologies that will touch lives of in education as in when you are watching a particular uh, learning material how about that learning material to really understand the video that you're playing on the other side, really understands that where I'm attentive and where I'm not and where where exactly I'm just mentally full with my, my cup is full in terms of all the mental overload that I could have taken in terms of trying to learn that. And I'm just fatigued and walking out. Um, uh, similarly, mm-hmm. if you're driving a car, if I can understand that you're really tired and you can fa- you're fatigued, how about your um, you know car audio system says that, hey, seems like you are really tired. Why don't you pull over? And that could save massive amount of accidents, which otherwise does happen on the highways. Um, so mm-hmm. so it has got possibility to you know touch all form factors of consumer experience. We have started lot more from a perspective of brand experiences and consumer experiences across digital form factors. But yeah, it will evolve, I believe, towards other category as well.
0: Wow. So, so the big thing I took away from what you just said is you guys are moving from insights to being adaptive. And I want to make sure that I understand and uh, the audience understands adaptive properly. Am I right in saying that For example, in education, when you're watching a particular video, when a child is watching a particular video about, let's say, math, based on that child's facial expression, an adaptive technology, from your perspective, would be able to change the stimuli being presented to the student to best fit his or her need. Is that what you're saying by adaptive?
1: Uh, That's right. That's right. And not just change the content. but Uh, right from the right from the um, subject to even asking to pause for a while uh, or Mm. or saying that uh, or saying that hey instead of method one why don't you try a simpler method like this right Uh, and that can be truly powerful because the true learning is about um, is my cognitive learning really moving or not it's not about how much I can memorize, right? So learning is one part memory and another part more of my cognitive ability to interpret and understand and reason something should enhance. And uh, is the content today or the learning mechanisms today really giving that chance beyond memory? There's uh, a question where I see there is a lot of value that can be added using such adaptive experiences.
0: Wow, yeah, that's that's very, very true. And um, now I kind of want to just uh, move away a little bit from Entropic and kind of ask you on a personal level. So what's the impact that you want to make, you know, throughout your career? What is the change that you want to leave so that at the end of your career, you can look back and say, like, wow, you know, this is what I wanted to achieve and I did it. So
1: so I think that um, essentially uh, the way I am looking at my my career and uh, uh, work space as such on a long term basis is um, there are some very fundamental problems which are huge in nature and and which are sort of uh, you know um, which are something very underrated unsolved for and and people are like those harder problems very few people are taking the stand on uh, as in Um, look at look at how Elon Musk has shaped up things for himself he picked up five big problems right and he built about sustainable energy he built about uh, ways to go to the market. he has launched a company Neuralink which works into the similar space as we do and I have had the chance to interact with the team as well Um, so so there is a profoundness around it there is a way they are taking problems which are not just problems to make money but you know the problems which are really, really important to the mankind at this point in time. so if i can if I can uh, work towards some of these big problems, um, sustainability, things like rural education, things like poverty, and create those sort of massive impact, um, uh, emotion, you know a very interesting story. When I was looking at emotion, my first first method was, first um, sort of thought process was using emotion less for consumer experience, but um, it was more about can we solve mental wellness, right? And that's a huge Mm -hmm. problem. There's a huge number of people getting depressed. And is there a digital way to, you know, continually make people alert about their day-to-day slavery of mental unwellness that they're getting towards? And um, sort of, But then I also understood that um, that requires an immense amount of human emotion data that one needs to learn about, and um, a more pragmatic way was actually solving something like this for a branch. So uh, my take on my career is, are there ways in which I can use AI or technology in that way to solve some of these key issues which are of huge impact, but on the other, other hand also very sustainable business propositions, Because that's that's just the most logical way to grow things and create impact.
0: That's amazing, and I I just want to uh, end because I want to be very cognizant of your time. I know you're very busy. On the question of, and I ask this to everyone on the podcast, is imagine at at the end of your career, like you just said, you've achieved everything you've wanted to achieve. You made a huge impact on poverty. You helped solve depression. And everything that you wanted to do, you've done. What? And you're reflecting. You're sitting back, and you're writing your autobiography. What would you want that title of the autobiography to be?
1: Oh, my my title of intro, uh, my, my title of biography will be entropy, uh, not entropic. It would be entropy for sure. Um, uh, when I was naming this company, um, so entropy is a is the measure of randomness of any particular system. And mm-hmm. as per physics, it is all about uh, any particular sustainable natural process always has increase in entropy, and that's why they're sustainable. Uh, like sand never accumulates to create a heap, but it just disseminates always. Water flows up the river down, um, so uh, up the hill, towards the down, because uh, the entropy increases ice melts because entropy increases. Um, So all things aside, the idea is that there is a fair amount of balance in the universe between how um, entropy works in terms of increase of randomness and decrease of randomness, and all the problem statements and the approach to solve it is really about that balance. So uh, looking back at things, I think I would definitely try to look at all these problem statements in my life more from the lens of how I help decrease randomness from the and and bring that balance with any of the problems that I was trying to solve. So that was a just the thought of entropy. How uh, uh, from where I took the name of the company Entropic Dynamics.
0: Very cool. Ranjan, I want to say thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to host this podcast. I really enjoyed it, and I'm sure a lot of people took a lot of things from this podcast. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks a lot, Arman. Thanks for this opportunity. It was amazing. Talk to you.
0: Thanks, Ranjan. Talk to you soon.